Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. Fernando Alonso will not race in Formula One next year. We discuss the big news and all the fallout. It's official. Fernando Alonso will not race in Formula 1 in 2019, but do not say the word retirement because he has left the door open for a possible return to the Grand Prix grid in the future. I'm your host, Ed Shaw, and joining me to dissect Alonso's decision and where he might be racing in 2019 versus Scott Mitchell. Now, Scott, F1 is apparently on its August break, but coming not long after the announcement of Daniel Ricciardo's off to Renault, it's been it's been far from quiet, has it? And also uh, in the same month as we've had Force India's rescue from administration as well. So glad I didn't book in any holiday for this time because it's been it's been pretty hectic. But yeah, uh, Ricciardo's uh, announcement obviously caught everyone on the hop and was a massive shock. I think Alonso leaving F1 probably perhaps a little bit of a shock, but 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 no but no. I was about to say, but no less big. <laughs> sort of four point five on the Richter scale. The sort of thing that people in Yorkshire get excited about, and people in uh, Indonesia go, "What are you worrying about?" Yeah. Um, obviously, Ricardo's move from Red Bull to to Renault caught everyone on the hop a little bit, but Alonso less of a shock, but but still massive in terms of its impact for F one. 
Now, also joining me is Andrew Vanderberg. Now, you've got a very, very unusual Alonso-related achievement in that you're one of the few people to have seen Fernando Alonso in a Jaguar Formula One car. I know. Um, it was back at Silverstone in 2002, I believe. And uh, I was working for the Jaguar Racing team at the time, running their website. And I used to have to go to all, all manner of tests. I saw James Courtney have an enormous shunt at Monza one year when he was testing the car. And uh, yeah, he was there. He drove the car. It was incredibly impressive. I think that was the year uh, that he was taking a year out when um, uh, after he'd done his Minardi season, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, that Jaguar ne- were never particularly quick, but uh, he made it go fast. And uh, they didn't sign him. Uh, which I think encapsulate everything about the Jaguar Formula One team in one sentence. That's probably the one way Fernando Alonso could have made things worse if he signed for uh, signed for Jaguar. That really uh, really didn't go well. Well, Scott, can you just explain what is going on? So, in a nutshell, it's quite simple. We know that Alonso has been debating uh, his his F one future for for some time, and, and now what he's officially communicated is that he's decided the end of the year is the right time to step away and focus on a new challenge. He hasn't said what that is, but we're all assuming it's going to be IndyCar, given that he's got to win the Indianapolis five hundred to complete his his bid for the unofficial triple crown, having won Monaco and and also Le Mans this year at the first time of asking. Um, as you said right at the very beginning, don't call it a retirement because he, he's left the door open for, for, for a return. The the interesting thing for me is that Alonso says he made his mind up a while ago and he's sort of been indicating to us that he hadn't and that over the summer break it would become clearer and then he'd want everything in place for, for, for the end of the season. We... We we know as well that McLaren obviously needs to get his house in order in terms of driver lineup for next next season. And losing Alonso, your star man, is is a much tougher uh, place to fill than if you're just looking to replace the guy sat alongside him. So that's sort of the the situation in that set. Uh, that's sort of the situation in a nutshell. Alonso's been been leading up to this announcement for some time. He teased it a couple of days ago, and and now it's out in the open. And we know that we're going to have to get used to an Alonso-less Formula One at least for next year. It says a lot about where McLaren is, doesn't it, Andrew, that if McLaren was going to be up there fighting for wins next season, clearly he'd stay on because he still has this great desire to win Grand Prix and to win World Championships. What he doesn't have the desire for is to pick up some more seventh places, which is probably what he'd be looking at. It's quite a hard one for them to spin, isn't it, when they're going out to get some new sponsors in? Um, Who's your lineup? Oh, yeah, we've got a hot young rising star or whatever and some uh, acknowledged midfielder. what happened to your world champion? Oh, he left. Well, why do we want to back you then? I think it's, this is a really quite a, a, a delicate situation for them because it's, it's, a, it's a sign that they are nowhere. You know, how, how, how can they spin a good, a, a positive out of this? I think it's basically impossible. Um, and uh, an acknowledgement, you know, for all the bluster we heard a few years back about them having the best chassis on the grid that, you know, that, there's no quick remedy to the malaise that they find themselves in. I would agree with that because McLaren hasn't won a race since what the season finale in 2012. It's been on a it's been on a slope across two regulation changes, so it's misjudged it twice. We know that we now know that the Honda wasn't the only problem at McLaren for the last three years because it's made a a massive mistake with its 2018 F1 car, and in that in that slump, which is irreversible, that it hasn't been all up and down. It is. It, from that beginning to the end it's a, it's a clear downward traje- trajectory and the the problem for me is that losing Alonso is you lose the only factor that kept you relevant in my eyes as, as, as a headline F1 team because without Alonso McLaren is basically Williams just a little bit further up the grid 
took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I think they are absolutely in desperate need of one of those, you know, moments of enlightenment when, you know, uh, somebody finds or something, you know, I'll double diffuse or whatever. I know that was a regulation loophole. But is it, there, are, there are occasionally moments, uh, like when Williams first got the Mercedes engine, where it vaulted itself back up, and they are absolutely in desperate need of one of those situations for next season now. Otherwise, they are just going to, you know, reverse themselves towards the back of that grid. Well, Alonso has actually left the door open to returning to McLaren in Formula One. There's some quotes from Alonso in the statement McLaren issued on Tuesday afternoon. I'll just, I'll just read it from that. I, I won't do an Alonso impression. I can't do much of a, a Styrian accent, but I've got the deck chair you can do it from. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. His quote was, I know they will come back stronger and better in the future, and it could be the right moment for me to be back in the series. So he's leaving the door open to return to Formula One. He's continuing a McLaren affiliation. So, I mean, realistically, the first time that a McLaren could have any chance of winning a world championship surely is 2021 with the new rules. And that's even if they have a, an absolutely brilliant run in terms of turning the team around, getting everything working and get the team back to where, where it should be. How did, uh, how did Jensen Button's comeback go after he stepped away from F1 for a bit? It, it ended with Pascal Verlein propped up against the barrier in Monaco, didn't it? What about when Mick Hakkinen stepped away from McLaren just for a little bit? How yeah, did that go? I mean, it's it's rare for, if you walk away from Formula 1, it's rare to come back. There are exceptions. Nigel Mansell did it, only to then walk away again in uh, after a couple of races, a couple of outings in 95 for, for McLaren after that full race stint with, with Williams. So, yeah, I mean, the door Alonso has left open. There, there are two doors, should we say, back into Formula 1. One is... Well, I'll stay affiliated with McLaren if by some miracle they happen to turn it around in a few years and we're able to win world championships. Yeah, I'll drop back in and I'll try and get a third world championship. And he also, anytime there's a top seat available, he's going to be on the phone trying to get in. So he still knows he's got a few years. In 2021, where we have the new rules, he'll, he'll turn 40 that season. So it's still credible for him to be a high-performing F1 driver as long as he stays race sharp elsewhere, which clearly he, he will do. I think he'll find the grass is greener away from F1. His his enjoyment must have just been on a similar to McLaren's form on a downward spiral ever since the last few seasons. And he's going to go to, again, presumably IndyCar or he's going to keep racing in WEC where he can win and he can drive on really cool circuits in cool cars where he's wheel-to-wheel against drivers that he, that, that are good drivers and that he can actually race against and show how good he is as an individual um, and as, and in a team as well. So I, I just don't see why he, he would return because I feel like if he had that opportunity to to deal with that bit of unfinished business that he obviously has in F1 because his his legacy and his CV doesn't do his actual talents any justice, then I think he'd take it now. But will he do that in twelve months' time or two years' time when he's sort of his, his powers waned a little bit and and he's enjoying other aspects of his life and, and and in motorsport? I'm not sure if he will. Well, if the opportunity comes up, yeah, he will surely. But it's a big F. I think. Let's pretend that he wins the 500 next year. There won't be a Formula E team out there that's not ringing him up now. And would you rather risk a situation with a not, not necessarily a race winning car, a championship winning car, because you'd probably need a Ferrari or Mercedes for that, or throw your lot in with a Porsche works uh, Formula E team? I think that the next destination you'll see him after the five after winning the 500 will be Formula E. I certainly agree. The only place. The only situation you'll go back into F1 is where he's got evidence and a clear shot at winning plenty of races and having a championship run. But yeah, he he's he's been he's had his eyes open to the fact there's all these other categories to race. And you know, Formula One drivers are always accused of being myopic. They kind of have to be, but because these other opportunities have arisen, he forced the opportunity at Indy because of McLaren's situation. The same with the Toyota driver. We should we should stress that actually he'll 
he's got three races of the WEC Super Season at the start of next year. So Sebring, Spa, and then a second attempt at winning the Le Mans 24 Hours after his success this year. So he's already got that partial program set. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Formula E with a manufacturing investment, that, that's an obvious place he will, he will look at anywhere where there's good racing, the chance to be a professional paid driver and good competition will appeal to him. Just what, interesting about the, uh, the super season with Toyota there. What impact does that have on his ability to run a Honda? Uh, at Indy because obviously the the obvious thing to do is to team back up with Andretti as they've done before but that's a Honda car so and there aren't obvious Chevrolet options for him to go into so does does this queer the pitch slightly about whether that Indy thing's maybe that done, such a done deal? Uh, earlier this year um, Masashi Yamamoto the Honda motorsport boss was asked this and said would you have an objection to Alonso driving for one of your cars uh, one of your with would you have an objection to Alonso driving with your engine in IndyCar, given that three-year spell of criticising Honda, particularly the embarrassing GP2 engine comment on home soil at Suzuka, which really stung? And Yamamoto said, um, basically said that he understood why those frustrations emerged. He said that racing drivers want to win. They've got a massive desire to win. And, and he was sorry because he hadn't given, his company hadn't given Alonso and, and Stoffel van Dorn and Jensen Button before him the chance to win in Formula 1. And he considered Alonso to be a fantastic racing driver. So it was a good bit of dancing around the the question. There wasn't a, an explicit yes or no, but there was that sort of indication that they were like, okay, that was in the past. We're trying to move on. And uh, would they step in the way of something? Ultimately, Honda's in motorsport to have success. I know honour and, and respect is important to them, but an Alonso in your car at, at Indy is the best chance for Honda's success there, surely. Well, yeah, for Honda, but what about for Toyota? I mean, they spent all this time and money trying to win Le Mans, and the man whose name is associated with it is Fernando Alonso. How happy are they going to be about their star driver going off to, to Honda to win the 500 and complete the Triple Crown? One of the things that, I mean, this is a little bit different, but uh, one of the things that is sort of similar to that, you mentioned Formula E as a destination for Alonso. We've sort of seen that in Formula E with Sebastian Buemi, who's obviously Toyota contracted in LMP1. He's Alonso's teammate. Um, but he he has been racing for Renault in, in Formula E up to now, and, and we have no reason to believe he won't be racing for, for Nissan when the Renault team becomes the Nissan team in Formula E next season. That's a rival Japanese manufacturer. Perhaps not to the same degree. I'm not really sure sort of where the various uh, Japanese rivalries uh, lie in terms of uh, ferocity. Um, but on, on that score... I I assume it, it would it would be okay, especially because obviously Alonso has gone to the lengths of delivering them the the Le Mans win that they craved so much. Um, so I think that would be okay. And I should apologise as well because obviously I misinterpreted your initial question and thought it was about the the, the fractious Alonso Honda relationship, which um, is, is just another example of how Alonso likes to divide the people he works with in F1. Well, interestingly, McLaren have suggested that either Honda or Chevrolet, who are the two engine suppliers in IndyCar, are possible even after. Alonso's Toyota uh, super season deal was was done so whether I mean I'd be very surprised if Toyota given that they're paying Alonso a lot of money to race in the way they're not doing it for nothing they're not doing it just out of generosity they're doing it because the benefit he has I guess it comes down to whether they think HBD Honda Performance Development which is a subsidiary of of Honda Automotive in, in the US that does the engines is it's kind of different enough from the from the rest of Toyota but yeah I mean if they link up with Andretti it's, it's a Honda engine team there's been talk about linking up with Rahul which is also a Honda Honda engine team and that's that is an interesting interesting question, but it does seem that McLaren they've said they they've gone through the process of evaluating IndyCar and they're in the decision making phase now is the official version for a McLaren entry. I think in an ideal world they'd like their own full blown McLaren team over there. I think 
initially the plan is to start it in association with another team, rather like the Andretti uh, McLaren bid at Indy in 2017, uh, but they could have greater control over it. So presumably they think it's possible to do it. And th- this is the thing: if if Alonso, he's clearly still wanting to affiliate himself with the McLaren, as from what he said in in his quote. So presumably that means that this move to possibly do IndyCar is pretty pretty realistic, even if they haven't decided yet to to do it. Because if I was Alonso, that's what that's what I want to do. If, if McLaren will still pay him and let him do IndyCar, then great. Yeah, it's an interesting one because surely um, if you really wanted to go there and, and win it, you'd try and team up with Penske or um, Ganassi. You know, they're, 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 your, they're your big gun teams over there. But uh, clearly the relations with McLaren can't be that bad. Certainly not with the upper management if he's if he's willing to uh, to, to believe in their ability to, to win the, the, the 500. And, and I would assume if he's going to do it full time, the championship as well. So, you know, do a proper uh, a proper Mansell effort. It's it's interesting because we we thought and I and I say we I'm sorry if I'm speaking on behalf of you Ed but my assumption at the very least was that the management changes we've seen at McLaren with Eric Boulier being ousted and Gilles de Ferran and Andrea Stella coming in like those smacked of Alonso inspired changes and Zach Brown even went as far as to say that they'd factored in Alonso they'd run ideas past him they'd got his his input into those changes and and I thought that that was going to strengthen the likelihood of Alonso staying because they've put people that he trusts and knows in positions of power and and, and built again continuing to build the team around him um but uh, but but that also shows that the the level of influence Alonso has at, at McLaren so uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he goes and carries that level of influence with him to to IndyCar with McLaren I'm sure they'd uh, bend over backwards to accommodate him in some way for for the next year and beyond that and of course, IndyCar's going to be a big challenge for him. He's he's ticked off the Le Mans 24 hours at the first attempt. Toyota was in a very strong position this year, but you know Le Mans isn't an easy race to win. The Indy 500 is a is another kettle of fish entirely. It's an incredibly difficult race to win. Just ask Michael Andretti, who I think had 16 starts, never managed to win it despite always being competitive. Mario Andretti won it once, and then had God knows how many attempts without without winning it. And it, it is a race that they they always say it chooses you. And you know Alonso showed he's up to it he's capable of it but the chance he had in 17 with Andretti Andretti Honda that was the strongest package there last year Takuma Sato did win in that car and Alexander Rossi was right up there they're all of all of the uh the main Andretti drivers were, were right up there so even if he does go and do Indy it's it's going to be optimistic to think he could do it he could win the 500 at the second attempt I mean he, he's capable of it but you need a hell of a lot to go for you so I think if he wanted to, I think if he does do the IndyCar program, he's going to have, he'll probably look at it as a full, a full campaign, really go for it, get all the preparation in. And maybe he thinks, well, I can do that for a couple of years, still be paid to do it. Great. And, and perhaps he can really build a team around himself. So as much as McLaren, it'll be a, a team Alonso. Because one thing I do know is from doing Indy last year, he saw the difference between the, the kind of even a top IndyCar team and a Formula One team. And he saw plenty of ways you could bring F1 practice to IndyCar. It's not to do down these teams because they're seriously good, but, any top performer from another category will come in and have ideas for how to do it. So he's got very clear ideas about what could be done over there should he go down that route, should McLaren make it possible. I mean, this is absolute manner for IndyCar, though. I mean, they've been having a little bit of resurgence. The new aero kit they've put on the car this year has made the racing really good. We've had some fantastic races, and uh, it seems to be in a good place. The, the opposite of NASCAR, which is, seems to be in a very bad place at the moment with dwindling TV audience and a really dwindling uh, live audience. Um, this could really be the thing that puts IndyCar back on the map. You know, certainly you were there at the at the 500, Ed, when uh, when Alonso was there. The buzz around it was, you know, we hadn't seen. 
the like of that since the absolute glory days of it when you know drivers would go into f1 or from f1 to you know there was a nice two-way street with uh cart as it was back then you know it's a real sort of renaissance back to that era it was very much like the Mansell effect. People who were there for when Mansell went over there in 93 said it was the same. You know, the crowd was cheering a lot. So sometimes there's this view of American motorsport as quite insular. And it's like, oh, here's, here's this big time Charlie from uh, from F1 coming over trying to show us how to do. But, you know, he got a massive cheer at the, at the driver's parade. They do the driver's presentation in the uh, in the build-up to the race. And I was down in, on pit road for that. And they, they bring them on in groups of three to represent each each grown. So he came on. It's like, oh, it's Fernando Alonso. Huge cheers from the pack grandstand. They absolutely loved loved him he was chased by autograph hunters all over the place i remember one of the early days in practice i was down down on the uh, sort of on the pit road um just before the session started and there was alonso there just about to get his balaclava on and then somebody who had a, had a pass for the uh to get to get into that because fans can get into the the area kind of behind the behind the pit wall uh sort of approached him to get a photo and a, an autograph and alonso looked a bit sort of a little bit out. i don't think he quite like quite how much access the fans had in that regard but you know he was a huge 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 star over there and 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 you can be good if you're if you're indycar i mean they'll be they'll be speaking to McLaren they'll know exactly where where things are at so they would go out of their way to try and get Alonso into IndyCar and even if McLaren can't put something together and fund it IndyCar will be helping IndyCar will be on the phone to whoever Roger Penske the lot say oh we've got Alonso come on come on come on let's, let's do something for him they'll be desperate to have him because he lifted the 2017 Indy 500 massively it was a brilliant story it was a real shame when his engine failed uh, relatively late on while he was he was in in the mix to, to win shall we say so yeah, it's the obvious place for him to go, and it'd be brilliant for brilliant for IndyCar, and also brilliant for motorsport because you know we love F1, but F1 does sort of hoover up all of the all of the interest, too much of it, because we all like other forms of motorsport. So anything that throws a little bit more attention on IndyCar is fine by me. I can't wait to see him racing around Elkhart Lake or Mid Ohio, or you know they've got some fantastic tracks out there that Formula One couldn't even dream of going to these days, and I think he's going to love that. I think he's going to love. The fact that pretty much any car on that grid, if you've got a good team running it, can win a race. So, you know, bringing his expertise, his way of working um, from Formula One, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a front runner straight away. I mean, we've seen what Robert Wickens has done going there this year, um, you know, as, as a rookie, and he's right on the pace. That's not to say it's easy because there's some really strong drivers at the front of that field, but throwing him in the mix against your Will Powers and your Scott Dixons uh, and so on, uh, Simon Paginot's and uh, Alex Rossi's, it, it, it's just brilliant for them. And I, I'm, I'm sort of getting excited thinking about watching it now. Um, but this is assuming that that's actually what he's going to end up doing. And maybe it might only be a, a short campaign as a build up to the 500. I, I hope if he does do it, it's the whole season. Well, the very positive thing is when Alonso does stuff, he approaches things very, very professionally and methodically. When he was racing at Indy, every morning, obviously they have many practice days in the two weeks building up to it. He'd be in the simulator down the road in the morning doing some work. He'd very much have his, his focus on what the correct program was for the day. He'd watch all sorts of videos and onboards and things. He, he took the same approach with, with Le Mans and with WEC. So he doesn't underestimate the challenge of this. And I think if he went to IndyCar, yeah, he would be going to win it. But he wouldn't think, oh, I'm going to win it because I'm Fernando Alonso and I've won two F1 World Championships. He will go in knowing, yeah, I'm capable of doing this if I do everything right really working and leave no stone unturned which is which is what he he will do and i think wherever he goes he he will be rewarded by being in a position where his excellence can allow him to win races that that's what he wants because right now his excellence is allowing him to start 13th and finish 8th in a grand prix which you know no matter all his comedy pronouncements about miracle performances great drives etc etc he said all sorts of uh, amusing things over the past few years about what he's done and he has been a fantastic performer but 
you know, you, how how do you, if you're Fernando Alonso, get up in the morning getting excited about an eighth place? I, I know, but I think there's testimony to him that you, there hasn't been a noticeable level drop despite those terrible cars. You know, he he has been delivering to the absolute max, which is how you can be so definitively confident that that's where that car is at. You know, if, if Fernando Alonso is qualifying at 13th, that's pretty much the best it can do. And if he finishes eighth, then, you know, that's probably all it was capable of. It, it's it's not like he's missing podiums through a lack of application. No, that's that's just not his modus operandi. You know, this is a this is a guy who's sort of always been relentlessly on it. If you go back and that from that first win at Hungary 2003, it's always been that sort of relentless application. And, uh, you know, he was. I remember those days, he was one of the most exciting drivers on the grid. That super aggressive turn-in style and whatever. We look that's adapted as well as the, the regulations of changes. He's shown himself to have all those excellent qualities of being adaptable, of uh, you know, of, of of being super committed and willing to you know understand the nuances of what's required in those regulations. So um, it'd be a big miss for McLaren. The great thing about Alonso, he's 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 a he's a hustler of a car. He doesn't kind of have. Some drivers, he does have a default driving style, everyone does, but some drivers have an overwhelming default driver style. Alonso doesn't have that. He's able to adapt, do things that work. Because actually, if you look at it, the way he drove the Renault with the, the Michelins is almost pushing through the understeer the front side. It shouldn't really have worked. But he knew it did, and he did it. And then he adapted when, when he had to change to change to Bridgestones. And, you know, obviously subsequently had to change to Pirellis. And he's never had a point where where it's been, you know, his, it's not been his shortcomings in adapting. So, I mean, he's not like the way Formula One's gone for the years, but yeah, it hasn't made him rubbish. He's been able to, he's been able to adapt to it. And it's an interesting question, isn't it? Looking at Alonso as a whole, there's every chance after this decision, he'll never start an F1 race again for reasons we've discussed. I think it's probably more likely he won't than he will because he needs to, he needs a way back in that'll give him a really good car. But how has he got potentially to the end of his Grand Prix career? with 32 wins and two world championships. You think back to Interlagos 2006, he just won his second world championship, he's off to McLaren. We were thinking, oh, could he get Schumacher's seven world titles? Could he be matching the 90-odd wins? He's had 16 wins since the end of 2006, which is astonishing. What a waste. Absolutely. I mean, you you wouldn't have even got odds, I would imagine, when he was leaving to go to McLaren that he wouldn't win another world title, you know, in that that point in 2006. He was the clear and obvious heir apparent to Michael Schumacher's throne you know he'd taken the fight to him in those two seasons you know and, and duffed him up basically uh, okay Kimi Raikkonen could turn on some fantastic performances when the when the car wasn't letting him down but Alonso was the man you know he had the, the whole package and then obviously he came across some little plucky young rookie called Lewis Hamilton and set upon this destructive uh, internal relationship in McLaren there, and really that just put him on a on the back foot. Then you know, forced to, to go to a Renault team that wasn't super competitive. Although he dragged out a couple of great wins there, and obviously one well, quite controversial. Just, yeah, one. Exactly, the, the Singapore <laughs> one we have to put a bit of asterisk. But but we should always remember about Singapore is set aside all the justified controversy that you know it was the the, the race manipulation, the deliberate PK crash. But people tend to forget the Renault was really quick in Singapore that weekend. They had a problem in qualifying. Uh, which which meant he was further down the grid. I think he, I want to say it was it was early in Q two. I think he had a problem. Can't remember exactly. But we were saying, well, could he get could he get pole here? So he he was at least quick there. It doesn't justify what happened after. But but yeah. But all all these team decisions. Obviously the move the move from Renault to McLaren. He signed that Renault deal. He, he rather he signed that McLaren deal 
at the end of 2005, it's often forgotten. And that was that was perfect because McLaren was a powerhouse team, should have won the title in 2005, didn't have the reliability. Just like Schumacher 10 years ago before him, he realised that the Enstone team, which we have to call Renault, it's been Benetton, Renault, Tolman, Lotus, and it's back to Renault again now. He knew that it didn't quite have the might to be year in, year out a, a contender. And Schumacher said the same thing when he went to, about when he went to Ferrari for, for 1996. And then you just have these series of moves. The move to McLaren. If Pedro de la Rosa was in the second seat instead of Hamilton, he probably wins a 2007 title and it's a different story. But oh, easy. Everything happened. We don't go over the detail of 2007 because that was a, a mad, mad season with a spy scandal and, and the enormous fine McLaren disqualified from the Constructors' Championship and then Raikkonen nicking the world title in the last round. But then he goes back to Renault, which I'd describe as kind of an any port in a storm move. He went there for a couple of years because he knew the team. It was all right. Then it was the big move to Ferrari. And of course, the Ferrari move didn't work. 2010, he almost won the championship, lost out in the last round title decider when the team was so obsessed with Mark Webber who was his, his main title contender, they completely forgot about Sebastian Vettel. And Astonishing, they, that was Weber was all over the place. He was really struggling. So he made an early pit stop to try and turn things around, and they followed him. Yeah. And this was also a phase, again, too much detail, the phase of the race where the tyres were graining, the performance was dropping off. They thought the tyres were going to go down rather than coming back. And Hirohita Hamashima, the head of Bridgestone, uh, the Bridgestone Motorsport Tyre Programme, said after the race, said, actually, you think this is down to the fact that 2009 Ferrari was so rubbish because everyone learnt the previous year you had to go through this graining phase. So... 2010 didn't happen. 2011 Ferrari wasn't great. Won a few races. 2012 almost dragged a car at the start of the season terribly to a sensational title. Oh, victory. I think that was his best year. I thought he drove absolutely fantastic. Oh, 2012 was stunning, yeah. And then 2013 slid back again. And of course, 14 with the change to the new hybrid power units. Luca de Bonsomolo had spent 13 pushing the team to improve that year's car and they neglected it. And this is probably the point where you get the, the biggest decision error I guess Scott from Alonso when he was at Ferrari Sergio Marcioni was pushing the fact they'd make all these changes we're going to do this that and the other change the team Alonso had had enough said no and went off to sign for McLaren Honda because he didn't believe that Ferrari had the wherewithal to do it he underestimated the resolve of uh, Marcioni to to make the team team work so he's watching Sebastian Vettel winning races and competing for titles in a Ferrari he could have been in. Well, he's underestimated Ferrari's resolve, but he's also overestimated Honda's ability to come into F1 early by their own standards. I know they were late one year compared to the other engine manufacturers in in adopting that those engine regulations, but 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 Honda would have been better off coming in in 2016. It was, it was McLaren that pushed for for Honda to come in in 2015 and um uh, uh, Alonso was obviously hoodwinked, convinced, whatever you want to call it, by McLaren, by the powers that be, that Honda would be able to come in. And even if they were catching up a little bit in the first season, it would be fine after they got a year's experience under their belts. And we saw that didn't happen because every time Honda made progress, they, ne- they then needed to make significant change to actually make the step that other manufacturers were making. And they were just always, always, always playing catch up. And yeah, just the Alonso has, has made a fair few wrong decisions in his time, but that obviously stands out, especially in recent memory, as a, as a very big blunder and misjudgment on his part. It's a real shame, really, isn't it? Because if you're Alonso, you'll be looking at your TV and thinking, how have I not won more? I mean, he's been a great driver, clearly. Anyone would list him among the all-time greats, but he doesn't have the weight of statistical numbers to back him up. Do you think that's the sort of underlying desire behind this triple crown thing, sort of mas- masking the... Uh Underachieve- it was for a double world champion underachievement sounds a bit you know like the wrong thing but it is an underachievement there should have been four or five well let's go back to when they announced the Indy 500 assault in 2017 it was announced just before the Bahrain Grand Prix and Alonso did in fact say he said well 
to prove you're the greatest driver, I'd have to win seven world championships or eight world championships to eclipse Schumacher. I'm not going to be able to do that. He knew even if the car was brilliant, he probably wouldn't have enough years to do it. So he said, so instead I have to do things like this to succeed in other categories, win the triple crown. And he's, he's made, he's made good on that. He, he could have won the 500. He was certainly in the mix, did a, did a great job there. He has won Le Mans and say what you want about the, the competitive landscape at Le Mans this year. Winning Le Mans is a hell of an achievement. Absolutely massive achievement. He did a really good job there. He was very professional in, in his approach. So he's delivered, he's delivered on that. But yeah, I mean, he will, he will know more than anyone on the outside how he came to make the decisions he made, but he's too often ended up in the, in the wrong place at the right time, in the right place at the wrong time. He's, he's joined McLaren twice. That's been very ill-fated, but both times there were reasons for doing it. You can look at and say, I kind of see why you've done that. I see why you've done that. And sometimes it doesn't go for you. But then he'll look across at someone like Lewis Hamilton, who's made one move in his career, and it was perfectly timed. And it just shows how that decision-making process is, important. It's, it's so important. And I guess the one thing with Alonso you have to say is, you know, there's a Red Bull seat going now. Red Bull, Christian Horner, the team principal, has said they're not interested in him because of the disruption potential he has for the team. And, you know, Mercedes are wary about that. We know that that's on the radar of, of all the top teams about Alonso. So you also have to say the lack of opportunities, he's brought that partly on himself, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the one of the big things for, for Alonso is if you look at back at what Lewis did when he moved from McLaren to Mercedes, it was all part of this much bigger picture wasn't it okay Mercedes works team has returned it hasn't really delivered three years into the the return of the works team but there's all this stuff going on in the background there's a big rules change on the horizon and they've got everything in there's clear progress they're they're making good strides and there's a reason that Hamilton was courted by by Mercedes and and, and Alonso struggles even now to, to to be rescued from a situation not befitting of his ability is because of that reputation Alonso has built for himself and has been building for himself. I mean, I, I don't know what the sort of feeling was about him in the mid-noughties when he was winning titles, but obviously when he went to McLaren, he was immediately the pantomime villain there up against Lewis Hamilton. And he's had bits where he's come back into favour, for example... Um, when he was leading the fight so heroically for Ferrari against Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel, when Vettel was the chief person you didn't want to see win. Um, but by and large, Alonso has been that person who you, still, you feel like is there's a little bit about him that's just a bit poisonous to teams, and he's become his own worst enemy at times. Oh, he was um, he was loved when he was the guy that ended the 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 run of Schumacher wins. I mean, basically, it could have been anyone. You know, we would, everyone was just sick of all these. Uh, Schumacher triumphs one after the other but it was the way that which he in which he did it you know as this young kid that had come in in a sort of uncompromising style that we were discussing earlier on um are we absolutely a hundred percent sure that we haven't been hoodwinked by the whole lot of them and this isn't a ruse by Horner to deflect the fact that Red Bull have gone for him because I mean a part of me really really wants that to happen I would absolutely love it if that was and I admire your 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 desire to to find a a world in which that's true but unfortunately I just don't think that's the reality because obviously Red Bull has has won so big at promoting young talent and it's got guys on the books that it, it can throw in and it feels does does a good job and when you've got someone like especially when you've got someone like Verstappen who you're clearly 
going to gear your team around for, for for the foreseeable future. Why on earth would you? I mean, he's Verstappen's had trouble just trying to keep Ricardo in line. Imagine having Verstappen alongside Alonso for a year. Max and and Jos would, would, would absolutely flip. I'd be brilliant for us, but definitely not for the team. Yeah, it's that, a bit expensive as well, isn't it? Ultimately, when it comes to Alonso, his chance of getting in at a Mercedes or a Red Bull or even back in at a Ferrari is dependent on there not being a Hamilton or a Vettel or a Verstappen blocking the way. I mean, one of the disadvantages he's had is, like we said, at the end of 2006, he was the only show in town. Okay, you had Raikkonen as well, him and Raikkonen. But then within 12 months of that, Vettel had arrived, Hamilton had arrived, Kubica had just arrived at late 2006. Obviously, subsequently, he was taken out of the equation. But these these brilliant drivers who are options, Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen later. So he's, he's been unfortunate in that regard because teams can afford to overlook him. It's really difficult with Alonso to judge how much of it he's brought on himself. He is a divisive character, and there have been plenty of people who've worked with him who've, who've found him difficult. But he is... Also, you hear how he, he is uncompromising. He is very straight talking and clear in what he wants to happen. He will give a full and frank opinion and, and feedback and thoughts. So he is clear to work with. So I think he's perhaps somebody who builds very, very good working relationships with the people who he gels well with and maybe those who he doesn't not, not so well. So again, if you build a team around him, and your team is capable of producing a car, which McLaren did the first half of, but not the not the second half, then you can probably do very, very well with him. But the, the simple fact is, in order to be successful in Formula 1, and this has always been the case, yeah, we've got three teams that have run away, there is a problem there. But it's always been the case, you've got to be in the right team at the right time. Alonso just hasn't been enough. And also he needs to, he, he needs to have someone in charge of a team that's willing to bend over backwards for him. Because if you have a look Five at... Five Tory. Yeah, well, well, this is my point. So if you look at it, you look at McLaren, they were clearly not willing to screw over Hamilton to favour Alonso. But then he went back to Renault and they were so they're so enamoured by him, he so in his pocket, they orchestrated a, 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 a crash. They deliberately made his teammate crash so he could win a Grand Prix for them. Admittedly I know there were other circumstances surrounding the future of the team and, and, and that sort of thing. So but 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 that was that that was the power of Alonso in that we've seen it at McLaren, all of the changes, all of the stuff that McLaren and Honda have put up with over the last few years with their, with him throwing grenades from within the garage at the engine supplier that's pumping so much money paying his salary uh, at McLaren but then you look at it you look at McLaren you look at that spell at Ferrari where eventually the the, the loggerheads didn't work out in his in his favour so he he is so Marmite isn't he uh, I think from a people who want to work with him people and how you rate him as well because as much as we largely agree that he is uh, leaving F1 with with a CV uh, with with statistics that don't really befit him and, and his ability. There is also that element of like there are some people who just don't actually think he's he's that good. They don't think he's that quick. They think that his personality outweighs his ability as a racing driver. So proper Mister Marmite. I'm gonna I'm gonna really miss having him in F1 because he for for me the best indicator of Alonso and his and his star power in F1 is he has been in a team we said this earlier he's been in the team that's been irrelevant for several years and he's still one of the biggest headline generators on the grid the uh, the deck chair uh, mem was going to die and that's going to be a sad day for many uh, 
armchair F1 fans. I just saying there was obviously a sliding door moment in that 2007 season where McLaren could have just opted to reverse the way in which they pitted their drivers and Fernando Alonso would have won that championship. And who knows how the rest of history would have played out from from that moment. It, it would have been very, very different. And often careers do turn on these things. We often pick on specific decisions and moments where it goes the other way. But with, with Alonso, yeah, it, it's uh, things have changed dramatically. And ultimately, I think that 2007 season is where a lot of his reputation has come from and a lot of his path was set. And I think probably when he's uh, sat in his rocking chair at the age of, of 90, looking back, he'll probably still be racing at that age, knowing, knowing, <laughs> knowing him. But he'll look back and think, mm, yeah, maybe there was a, a different path that could have been taken as, as well. And But I think in terms of, I think any objective observer, I've had the privilege to see Alonso in action plenty and he's, he's a brilliant driver absolutely fantastic he's a he's an intelligent character and he's he's you know he's he's a, a perceptive person he's an interesting guy to speak to and I, I imagine he if you get on with him and gel well with him he he's a very very good person to work with I just think it's a shame we haven't seen more victories from him when you look at if we're in a world where Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton have got four titles and Alonso's certainly worthy of, of having four I know there's only so many to go around but yeah what a miss and the other per- the other people it's a big miss for is Liberty. Um, this is bad news for them. He is box office, um, whether, as uh, Scott said, he's Marmite or not. The organizer of the Spanish Grand Prix will probably be having a sleepless night tonight on how they're going to fill that place without him being there. Um, the TV figures, which are going to take a, a hiding anyway with uh, the UK going just behind the paywall. Formula One is not having a good time of it at the moment anyway in terms of its just general global appeal and uh, the sponsors that are coming in. This is an absolutely terrible announcement for them and what it means just for, for the sport and its profile across the world. Well, it wasn't Alonso quote actually where he said uh, where he thanks all the people who tried to persuade him to stay, including Liberty. So uh, clearly that, that was on the phone. But Scott, connected to that, I mean, one thing the Spanish Grand Prix organisers will hopefully have next year from their perspective is Carlos Sainz Jr. And he's among the contenders to take a McLaren seat next year. So what, what do we think this means for the McLaren lineup and the, the driver market as a whole? Well, it makes McLaren's situation a little trickier because I guess in an ideal scenario, the ideal scenario for them would have been keep Alonso and then put someone better alongside him because they're clearly not convinced by Van Dorn. I know he had a good Hungarian Grand Prix until a mechanical failure hit uh, after a really tricky spell, but the, the jury's still out on whether he's going to deliver on the promise he showed in junior formula. And I think Van Dorn needs a change of scene. There's a lot yeah, of ability there to unlock. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to happen. With totally agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And, and, and similar to that, another guy showing great promise in junior series, Lando Norris, it, the feeling there is that maybe he's not quite ready for F1 next year needs a season of doing FP1 runs ahead of a 2020 graduation. So McLaren ideally would have been looking at Alonso plus one. A Vandor Norris lineup, if one of them alongside Alonso didn't appeal, clearly putting them together is not something they'd seriously consider. So for me, you mentioned Signs, he's the favourite. He's got to be the person they're gunning for. But for that to happen, they rely on Red Bull not promoting him because Red Bull have an option on Signs until until next month, September. So they could still put him in the vacant Ricardo slot. I don't think they will. I think they'll go Gasly and then sign slots into McLaren, either with Vandorn or Norris alongside him, or maybe a, a wild card like an Esteban Ocon, because obviously Mercedes needs to find a home for him now. And signs Ocon would be would be a fascinating driver lineup, particularly if McLaren get the house in order. But it's difficult to see sort of there's so many dominoes still yet to fall, and it's uh, I, I hate to say that it's fascinating to see how it all uh, ends up because that sounds like a massive cop out, but. Uh, it is genuinely interesting to see what happens. But I, I do think Sainz 
to to McLaren. It makes sense. He's got commercial value because of his name. Alonso likes him, so I think Alonso has been pushing him in the background. And we know he's a good driver as well. Proven midfield operator has has a reputation for getting the most out of the car in in those rare moments where you can have a peak. So for me, he's a pretty obvious choice. Okay, with all the Renault powertrain and everything as well, you know, maybe this can create another way of keeping Kimi Räikkönen on the grid for a few more seasons. Oh God. <laughs> well, so we just... lose Alonso and keep Kimi. Well, with the with the uh, the loss of Sergio Marchioni, he's still got. That, that boosts his chance of staying on with with Ferrari for another year. I think that wouldn't have happened uh, had Marchioni still been uh, still been around. So there's a, an effect of, of of what happens to him. And, uh, but it is an amazingly volatile driver market. Things do happen very very quickly. Red Bull were completely blindsided by what Daniel Ricciardo did. So you know we never know. Red Bull could. It's it's, it's one thing they. My understanding is they basically decided that were Ricardo to go, they would put Gasly in. You never know. It's easy to say that when it's a hypothetical, but it's not completely out of the question. They might sit down and say, actually, I think we will take science. I think they will stick with Gasly, though, because I think the clincher was the science Verstappen relationship at Toro Rosso in 14 and early 15 became very very problematic and I think they they won't be keen on uh, on uh, repeating that and they they very much backed the Verstappen horse because they know how good he can be and and should become so yeah it's a fascinating so the, the positive thing for McLaren is there are quite a few good options out there they they wanted Alonso in their car in Formula One clearly that was their first choice they couldn't get him so now they need they need to go for their contingencies which I've been working on for for a good while well McLaren boss Zach Brown says that the fact that that Alonso made his mind up a while ago and they've sort of been working with this idea that he won't be won't be continuing they've been able to plan in the background they've not officially communicated what that plan is but they seem to have a a pretty good idea of of where they're going in this post Alonso world which is going to take some some getting used to for McLaren and I think for everyone in F1. If it is signed so it's a great opportunity for him to you know take a team and and actually control it because he's always been sort of second fiddle even if he didn't think that was going to be how it was at Hulkenberg you know there was a guy who already had some experience with the team this is a great opportunity to mould it around him and maybe you know we will see where he where he's actually at. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. There's plenty still to happen in the in the driver market. The one thing we know is Fernando Alonso will not be on the grid, and that's going to be a, a sad day in Formula Formula One next year. And a great driver, and wherever he goes, because remember the the IndyCar project is still to be confirmed, as it were. If he does end up there, that for me would be the best place for him for next year. Then that that's going to be a fascinating story as well. So uh, keep an eye on Autosport.com for all the the news. There's going to be plenty of fallout from from the Fernando Alonso announcement to uh, to read on there, and also all the news about the rest of the world of motorsport. Can I interrupt your final plug of I everything think, we do? I think that's you already have. already have. No, because I don't normally do this. I normally leave this to you because you're an expert at reeling off all the different wonderful things we do for our readers, listeners, watchers, etc. But I just want to take this opportunity to be able to implore listeners to to dig out uh, an, an August 2015 Autosport magazine feature. It's on autosport.com as well, so if you've got a subscription, you should be able to find it there. It's Ben Anderson's The Real Alonso feature. Really in-depth, brilliant look at the, the many sides of Alonso, what he's like, a person, a driver, a hero, a villain, just genuinely one of the one of the best f1 features i've ever read and the the best insight i think anyone could ever get into just how mercurial alonso is and, and what makes him tick well I, i'll do interrupt the interruption and say well i'll make an editorial decision that we're going to put that back onto the plus homepage. so when you're listening to this you'll be able to see it on there this is all going a bit Monty Python-esque with interruptions or interruptions and announcements and announcements and so on and so forth. But I do, I do echo that. It's a fantastic insight, that piece. Ben put a lot of work into that, spoke to a lot of people. That will give you a really rounded view of, of Alonso because 
you know, we, we look at the people look at these sports stars as almost two dimensional, but they're three dimensional real people with their strengths and weaknesses, their positives, their 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 negatives, like like the rest of us. And it, it's great to be able to really really get into that. But yes, uh, there's plenty about Fernando Alonso on on, on Autosport.com and the Plus subscriber area where you'll find all sorts of in depth features by our our star writers again, F1, the whole rest of the world of motorsport, and also check out Autosport Magazine out every Thursday. We we had to do a bit of a stop press in the in the next issue to get it in, but there'll be more or in the following issue about the ramifications of this once we've had time for the for the dust to settle. Also check out Sister Titles F1 Racing magazine out monthly and motorsport.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Most footwear brands overlook natural materials for cheaper synthetic alternatives. But when it comes to quality, Mother Nature knows best. Allbirds took that idea and ran to create their iconic wool runners. Wool runners are made with premium supernatural materials that are both comfy and durable. So you can run to the ends of the earth or just to the store. Plus, they're machine washable to stay looking as fresh as the first day you got them. The Wool Runner Upper is made with superfine ZQ certified merino wool that's breathable, temperature regulating, and moisture wicking. And the sugarcane based sweet foam midsoles cushion your feet and put a little bounce in every stride with all day support. Allbirds are constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their materials. Even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, take a big step forward for Mother Nature with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.